When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Peak Northwest, an outdoors and travel podcast by The Oregonian and Oregon Live, dedicated to the adventure and exploration of our beautiful Pacific Northwest. I'm Jamie Hale. And I'm Jim Ryan. And together we take you to some of the most beautiful and interesting destinations in our region, discussing where to go, what to do, and places to see. And today we are broaching a topic that many of us have thought about, but probably fewer of us have actually acted on. Yeah, Jim, you know, we we talk a lot here about uh, how to be prepared before, say, going out hiking or backpacking, um, going off and doing things in nature. But we've never really dedicated an episode to how we should be prepared for an event that Honestly, all of us know could happen at any time. Mm -hmm. Of course, we're talking about the big one, capital B, capital O, (laughs) the big one, uh, a major earthquake event here in the Pacific Northwest that is kind of on the horizon. So for context here, uh, the earthquake that Pacific Northwesterners uh, have long known about and feared is one caused by a rupture of the Cascadia subduction zone, the 600-mile-long fault that sits very ominously off the West Coast, uh, running from Northern California up to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And our colleague, Cale Williams, who's come on the show here before, he reported um, in 2018 that seismologists peg uh, the likelihood of a major earthquake happening on the whole fault at 10 to 14 percent in the next 50 years. So those numbers are you know, slightly higher, of course, for the central and northern Oregon coast, where experts say the chances of a large quake in the next five decades are between 15 and 20%. So all that is to say, Jamie, uh, in terms of a major earthquake, we're not talking if here, we're talking when. Exactly. I mean, it could be years, it could be decades, it could be in our lifetimes or not in our lifetimes when the big one hits. Um, I mean, or it could happen tomorrow. It could happen yep. right now as you record this podcast. Let's um, not. It, I hope it doesn't. Um <laughs> You know, my closet's maybe not the worst place to be, but there's probably some better places to be. Um, But all that to say, it is, I think, really important for folks to make sure that you're prepared in case of an earthquake anyway. Um, These are things that are just good to have around the house when it comes to an earthquake or any other sort of big disaster, say a big winter windstorm or you're losing power or something happens um, and you're, you're in need of emergency supplies. Getting an earthquake kit will help you for all of the above. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is how you get a kit, how you put it together, what you need to have in there and what to do when and if that earthquake hits. So here on the show to talk to us about all of this, to give us the lowdown on how to prepare for the big one is Marilyn Bishop, the founder of Cascadia Quake Kits. Marilyn, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. 
So full disclosure, uh, I have purchased one of these Cascadia Quake kits myself back in March after like two years of thinking, boy, I should really get prepared for the earthquake and just never taking the initiative to do it. Marilyn, it seems like that is a situation that so many of us are in. Absolutely. That's the most common thing that I hear. Uh, most people are aware of the Cascadia earthquake as being a possibility, um, and they feel a sense of urgency to prepare, but it's it tends to be waning. And there might be moments of inspiration to prepare, for example, if there's a major natural disaster around the world. Um, especially an earthquake, uh, people get um, motivated to prepare. And then for a number of reasons, uh, they don't. You know, there's lots of reasons why it gets put on the back burner. Um, and that's why I wanted to make it easy for people to, to take some steps. Yeah. So Marilyn, before we completely dive into preparedness here, you have quite the background in outdoor adventure and leadership. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that before we, we dive in too much? Sure. Uh, I think of myself kind of as being on my third career at this point. So um, my first career, um, I spent about a decade working in outdoor education. So I was an instructor for Outward Bound and um, basically led wilderness courses for um, people in the Sierra Nevada mountain range down in California and down in Joshua Tree and um, and really just spent most of that time, most of my that decade in the wilderness. And part of instructing and part of um, outdoor education is appreciating the wilderness and seeing new places. You know, a lot of the things that that you talk about and share with people on Peak Northwest. And it's also um, about gaining skills and gaining a sense of competence in, in uh, being able to take care of ourselves in a wilderness environment. And so, um, you know, the self-reliance piece is a big part of, of what I sort of lived through that wilderness instruction. Mm -hmm. And um, it was quite a vagabond uh, lifestyle, very transient. And I knew that I wanted to land somewhere and um, move to Portland and um, enrolled in Portland State University and received my master's in social work. And so my my second phase was working in mental health here in Portland in an inpatient psychiatric setting for adolescents. And so I did that for a number of years and um, had a family during that time. I have two kids. And, uh, and then my third phase was getting into this community preparedness and specifically earthquake preparedness. Yeah. And, and so to, to piggyback right off that perfect segue is what compelled you to, to make this move into the earthquake preparedness field here? Well, the number one reason was people need help. And mm -hmm. I was someone who was really, you know, when I started hearing about the Cascadia subduction zone and the possibility of this earthquake, it was the early 2000s. And I took it very seriously. And I was super motivated to prepare. And a lot of people weren't really <laughs> talking about it at that point. Um, but I found it to be kind of on onerous and um, a little overwhelming. And I would get a little bit done. And it just seemed like 
a tall mountain to climb, so to speak. And I just, from the very beginning, I just thought someone needs to step in and help people because people aren't, aren't, aren't taking charge and, and doing it. And it's not, it's not a personal, it wasn't a personal failure on my part or on anyone's part. It's just life is busy and things get in the way. And there's a lot of research involved. And my goal uh, with starting Cascadia Quick Kits was to, um, for people who want to have someone else take care of it, this process for them to have a well-researched one-stop shop to kind of jumpstart people into um, being more prepared. And you know, there's many ways to prepare, like so many people are self motivated, and they get it done on their own. And I'm always just hats off to them. And then there's a lot of people who, um, who aren't doing it and really want help and are so appreciative for the help. So I just I saw a need and I wanted to um, get more people in our community prepared, because ultimately, the more of the more people around us, and the more people in our community who are prepared, the better off all of us will be after a disaster, whether it's an earthquake um, or any other natural disaster. Yeah, you have this great passage in your website where you say that as a social worker, I knew that one important facet of communities that bounce back quickly from natural disasters is that they prepare for the hazard ahead of time. Just like you've been saying. So, I mean, what are the basics people should know when it comes to preparing for an earthquake ahead of time? It's interesting because a lot of people go right to the supplies. There are a number of things that people can do that have nothing to do with supplies. I think of like four main areas of preparedness. Um, and I'll, I'll go through them. Like I'll just mention them initially. One is, um, and the first two are free, right? Um, strong community connections, social network, knowing your neighbors is, it's actually part of preparedness. Number two, um, having a plan and, um, you know, doing some, some work ahead of time to be able to communicate with loved ones and reunite with loved ones ahead of time. And, um, the third is supplies, being able to be self-reliant and take care of oneself for a couple of weeks after a major earthquake. And then the fourth is preparing your environment. And that might be, you know, making sure a shelf's not going to fall on you while you're sleeping, knowing how to turn off your water and gas, things like that. So those are the, the general areas. Well, let, let's get into some of the nuts and bolts here um, about, uh, I think the thing like that you mentioned is something that, that we all are kind of drawn to, which is those supplies. So when we're talking about building an earthquake kit, having some of those things prepared and ready, what are the basics that you feel like people should have in these kits? We want to think about what we won't have after a major earthquake. For example, we know that the water system will not be working. We know that the electrical grid will not be working. We know that roads will probably not be passable and there pro probably won't be gasoline. Cell phones won't be working, things like that. So although that sounds all very dire, <laughs> it's kind of the reality. And we can think about the items that we would need in relation to if all those things were cut off, what would I need? The number one thing. Um, so if you're, if your listeners have not prepared at all and they want to take a small step today after, after listening to this, it's water. 
Water is the number one preparedness item. We can't survive without it. And the idea is that we want to be able to not be roaming around the streets looking for water at a time of uh, disaster that we can like take care of ourselves and not be stressed about that. Um, and so, so there's the water piece. The second thing is we may or may not be able to um, live in our apartment or our house or whatever our housing situation might be. So we need to think about, well, how will I stay warm? How will I be sheltered if I can't be in my house or if I'm, if I'm in my residence, but there's no heat. So things to keep people warm, things like that. You know, when there's no electricity, we don't have a light source. We need to have sources of light. We need to know what's going on by having an emergency weather band, hand cranked radio. It's like preparing to camp wherever you are. You know, it's like being in the back country, but being in the front country mm-hmm. and, and without the ability to go to a store, um, things like that. So walk us through a little bit, uh, the kinds of conversations you have with potential clients, folks who are, maybe they've read a news story about this, or they've seen a video on YouTube or on TV, um, folks who are, are interested, but unsure of where to begin. What's that conversation like? Prior to COVID, I spent a lot of time at events talking with people around about preparedness and, you know, that's fallen off. So most of the time when I'm, you know, answering questions now, um, people are, are wondering about, you know, they've already made the decision that they want to prepare and they have questions about where do I keep this? Um, mm-hmm. How often do I need to change my water? Uh, things like that. And um, overwhelmingly, I can't, I can't think of a time when I've been delivering a kit, someone's been picking up a kit or through email that generally this has been on people's to-do list for a long time and mm. um, they've been paralyzed by the process. So if I were to say anything to your listeners, it would be that there's no perfect way to prepare. And one of my favorite sayings is don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And don't let, you know, being prepared um, in whatever way, you know, like the emergency managers say to be prepared. It does. You don't have to be 100% exactly prepared as other people are telling you to be, but you do need to just take steps. If that makes sense. Like if there's an, for example, if, would you rather have two gallons of water after a major emergency or no water because you knew that you needed 14 and you just never got around to it. So Mm -hmm. taking small steps can make a big difference after, after any disaster. Absolutely so. Well, folks, we are going to take a short break. When we return, we are going to speak with Marilyn a bit more about what to do to be prepared for the big one. All right, folks, we are back with Marilyn Bishop, the founder of Cascadia Quake Kits, talking about earthquake and general disaster preparedness. And 
Marilyn, we've talked a lot about preparedness generally, but I think uh, kind of segueing off a little bit of what you talked about before the break, you know, some level of preparedness is better than no preparedness at all. For folks at home listening to this who have maybe not a whole heck of a lot put together so far, should they run out and absolutely buy a kit? Should they start putting things together on their own? What would you uh, kind of advise folks here? I would advise people to to take action either way. Um, I think it's awesome when people have the bandwidth um, to do it on their own because then they can um, work with items that they already have and fill in the gaps. Uh, I've spoken with a lot of folks who have called me and, and are, you know, 70, 80% there. And my recommendation to them is if they're almost there, they're like, what else do I need to do? What else do I need? Um, I recommend that they go to my website. And, you know, basically, if you go and look at the comprehensive kit uh, on that's on our website, you can kind of compare what you have, and what you're missing. And the comprehensive kit on the Cascadia Quake Kits website is based off the recommendations that come out from Oregon Office of Emergency Management, and then the Red Cross Cascades. And so it's a nice way for DIY folks to, to, to plug some of those holes that they might be missing. And um, other people just know they'll never, they'll never put something together themselves or they, they don't want to. Um, they just know that they won't. And then I would say, yes, if you're not going to do it on your own, um, research and, and purchase a pre-made kit. And we have a little bit of a disadvantage. I mean, living in the Pacific Northwest is amazing. And, and you two talk about this weekly. Um, and it's one of the few areas in the country, however, in terms of preparedness, that the recommendation is to be prepared to take care of yourself for two weeks. And so it's a tall order and um, it's okay to need help with that. Yeah, I, I know for myself, when I was looking into this, um, the idea of putting together something just myself seemed a little daunting. And the idea of being able to buy a kit that came with a lot of um a lot of these things already put together was extremely helpful. But, you know, I think it's interesting once you get into this, this realm of what is needed for those two weeks of preparedness, you start to see there's a lot of stuff that you don't really think about, or maybe that you don't really want to think about. And one of the biggest things for me that I, I saw was the, uh, the twin bucket toilet system. Uh, which is one of those things I feel like people just maybe want to avert their attention away from the problem of, how do I use the bathroom when the bathroom does not work? So can you talk to us a little bit about what this twin bucket toilet system is um, and and why this is an important thing for people to have as part of their, their emergency kits? Yes. Uh, thank you for asking. You know, we think about, oh, water's going to be out. And it's estimated that water in the Willamette Valley, the water system, it's kind of a, a funny span, but um, they say it's going to be out for one month to one year, you know, probably most likely somewhere, somewhere <laughs> in the middle. Um, and, you know, when Christchurch had their big earthquake and Christchurch is kind of similar to Portland in terms of like the buildings and infrastructure, their central water system was out for a year 
And so, um, and when the water's out, the sewer's also out. And so we have to think about both parts of the system. So imagine not having a proper way to deal with human waste after disaster. Um, if, if human, if people are just going to the bathroom willy nilly wherever and not dealing with it properly, you're sort of creating the conditions for a secondary emergency, you know, whether, you know, people getting sick, um, from from human waste. And so um, the city of Portland, Multnomah County, um, most of the metro counties have really been pushing the idea of a twin bucket toilet system, which is considered best practice for dealing with emergency um, waste and sanitation. And it's super low tech, really easy to put together. Um, the idea is that you're separating out um, liquid and solid waste. So you have two buckets, you know, a toilet seat, um, and you're, you're going number one in one of the buckets and, and urine can just be, you know, poured on plants, sort of disposed of because it tends to be sterile unless someone has a kidney infection or something, but that's rare. And then with the solid waste, you're using one book bucket specifically for solid waste. Any toilet paper goes into that bucket and so I'd go in there, I'd do num go my number two, and then I'd use some type of carbon material to put on top of it, um, you know, shredded paper. It can be sawdust. Um, our kits have pet bedding. And it's not a composting toilet, but it kind of um, dries things out. The city and the county where, you know, at least in the Portland metro area, they will be coming and picking up. They're, they already have plans for how they're going to come around and um, safely dispose of the poo, basically. It's something that is really easy and will be like invaluable after, after a, an emergency. I went to uh, Home Depot, got a couple of buckets. You can go to uh, you know REI. They sell uh, toilet seats that snap right into buckets. A five-gallon bucket, you know, you can get some big, heavy trash bags, uh, and again, like you said, sawdust or a kitty litter or whatever you know your choice is. Put that next to your emergency kit, and that's an easy enough thing to put together. Um, but you know, I, I'm curious: are there some other things that people should maybe keep in a kit that you just don't really think about? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's there's a lot of things. Um, one really ha doesn't have to do with. Um, gear or equipment, so to speak, but having important information at your fingertips. So there's, you know, you can get this information, there's a printout that you could download off our website. But basically, what type of important paperwork should you have available, you know, inf information on your insurance, um, information on your health plan, things like that. Because if our house, you know, has flooding or something like that, and we're needing to deal with our homeowner's insurance or, you know, medical, the medical system, yet we don't have our information, it can really make things happen too slowly. And so that's one of the things that people often forget about. A copy of your driver's license, health insurance card, insurance policy information, any medical information, a list of, of your prescription medications, things like that. I'm just going to make a plug for another thing that's really important for people to remember to add to their kits is um, if you take um, life-sustaining medication 
or anyone in your household does, it's incredibly important to plan ahead and make sure that you would have a two-week supply ahead of time. And there are some suggestions on how to make that happen um, in the blog section on our website too. Because you can't just say, oh, give me two weeks worth. Like there's some tricks on how to make that happen. That is great information. And on the flip side of this, Marilyn, are there things people think they should have that actually aren't ultimately very helpful? (laughs) Well, there's two things that come to mind, actually. One is like a compass. Like a lot of people, (laughs) whether it's in the back country or the front country, they think like you know, a compass is going to help them. It's great to have a map of your local area, even if you're just printing it off um, and putting it in your kit, knowing kind of your immediate neighborhood, like, because we Google Maps and things like that are not going to be working. So if you live in Portland and you know that there's a, a beacon site, which is a place where you can go and get information close to your house, um, you want to know how to get there. And and like, if you need to move around the immediate area, you'd want to know. But um, the compass is something that's not, not very important um, in general uh, in a disaster situation. And the other thing that, I mean, people kind of joke about it, but I think that many people are serious. They talk about arming themselves or not telling other people that they're prepared going into it with the notion that that it's going to be chaotic and, you know, everyone for themselves. But I think that that is misguided and um, disaster after disaster, um, we have seen that the best in people comes out. Um, there's always going to be, you know, some people who are doing the wrong thing, but most people are going to be helping each other. They're going to be checking on their neighbors. They're going to be taking care of the people around them. And, um, and we can expect the best of people to come out rather than the worst. So, mm-hmm. um, that's one thing that I, I think people have, uh, the wrong idea about what things are going to be like. Yeah. That's super insightful and, and great information. Now, Flipping the script a little bit here, we've talked a lot about what to do to make you personally prepared in the event of an earthquake or other major natural disaster. But I'd imagine folks are curious as well of things they could do on a broader scale to prepare for an earthquake. And one of the first things that comes to mind for folks who are homeowners out there is preparing their house for an earthquake, bolting down their foundations or whatever. What do you advise folks there? Or what are your views generally uh, on that topic? My view is that it's a great idea. You know, there really weren't building codes prior to 1994 that took any um, earthquake risk into account. And so generally, if you're in the Pacific Northwest and your house was, if you live in a, ho- a house or an apartment building, um, generally the codes were not thinking about earthquakes at all. When earthquakes happen, you know, there's sort of this side to side, you know, movement. And I, my house, for example, is a 1913 house, you know, and it's like a wood frame house, typical in Portland. And it just sits on the foundation. And like, if there's no earthquake, it's just gravity's holding us in place. It's mm-hmm. amazing. <laughs> and that, that, you know, it's like that it just, it works. Right. Um, but um, if there's an earthquake, you know, 
what's likely to happen is not like a total collapse of the structure, but things will slide off the foundation. And so one way that we can keep our, um, our shelters intact is to make sure that our, our residences are bolted to the foundation. And so there's no guarantee, you know, foundations are various conditions. Um, but if you're working with a reputable retrofitter, they will assess your foundation before bolting it to the foundation and uh, make recommendations. But I think it's a great way to increase the chances that you'll be able to shelter in place within um, within your home after an earthquake. So I, I think it's a great idea. I think it's worth mentioning too here for anyone who's thinking about what do I do when an earthquake hits? The advice generally is uh, stop, uh, drop, take cover. Is that right, Marilyn? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Our reptilian brain is going to say, run out the door. But really what we want to do, most people who are injured um, during an earthquake are injured by things falling on them. You know, it might be the facade of the, of a building or... Um, a bookcase, something like that. And so what you want to do is drop, um, drop to the ground, because if you're walking around, you might get knocked off your feet and you could injure yourself. Um, you want to get under something. Um, and like, it could be a table, it could be a desk, you know, anything nearby. And you want to, you want to kind of crouch underneath it, um, cover your head and hold on to the piece of furniture. Um, we're talking indoor. If you happen mm-hmm. to be indoors, there's different recommendations if you're in different places. And then, um, yeah, just hold on until the shaking stops and then as, then then leave the building if you're indoors. Yeah, I love that, that tip about not running outside and also um, not standing in a doorway and thinking that will save you. That is um, That is not an accurate piece of advice for earthquakes, no matter what you may have heard. Correct. Uh, Well, Marilyn, you've given us so much great information about earthquake preparedness, um, earthquakes in general. Um, Where can folks go to learn more about earthquake preparedness or to learn more about the kits that you put together? Yes, thank you. Uh, My website is CascadiaQuakeKits.com. And certainly if someone's interested in in researching the types of two-week earthquake preparedness kits that we offer, it's a great place. But there's also um, a blog section that has just general information. If you're um, preparing on your own, you can download an emergency plan. You can download... um, emergency communication cards, you know, lots of the information that you would want to have while you're preparing, you can just grab off of the site. Um, other places that are are good in terms of seeing what the recommendations are in the Pacific Northwest um, are Oregon Office of Emergency Management. Um, they have information there. It's it's a lot of information, but you can you can just kind of sift through it and find what you need. Um, and then also the the Cascades region of American Red Cross, they have a publication that is um, really good. It's called the Prepare Guide. And that that can be a nice um, consolidation of information for you to look at. Well, Marilyn, thank you so much for, for coming on the show today and bringing all this information to us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me.
Yeah. You know, Jim, this is such a great time of year, I think, for people to begin to start thinking about this earthquake stuff. Uh, Because like Marilyn said at the top, it's so hard for people, I think, with this abstract idea of the earthquake coming eventually. It's really hard to really feel the urgency to put all of this stuff together, you know? I mean, you think, my goodness, 14 gallons of water where do I even put that? You know, do I put that in my yeah. crawl space? Well, is that a good place to keep it? You know, uh, I surely don't want it in my bedroom or in my kitchen. Hatching a plan, you know, as we get deeper into fall, uh, it's a good time to do that. I don't know. Yeah. And I, I think like having a like a, a day that like every year where you think about this stuff, right? Like I know some people who uh, January 1st is like their day to do emergency preparedness. We're picking mm. a holiday where like you don't maybe don't have a lot going on, whether it's Memorial Day or Labor Day or Veterans Day, which is coming up here November 11th is a good opportunity. Or um, actually here in um, just next week on October 21st is the Great Shakeout. Um, which is an opportunity for um, people to specifically uh, learn and talk about earthquake preparedness. A great opportunity to maybe take some time out of your day, um, sit down, figure out what you need. If you already have a kit, maybe go through and, you know, recycle out the water or check the food that you have in there to make sure it's not expired or your medications. I mean, I think it's just a good chance every year to have a, a really a, an opportunity to go through and freshen up this stuff or get it if you don't have it already. That is all great information. Very timely. Encourage folks to visit Marilyn's website to uh, learn a bit more and do a bit of research on their own. Folks, until next time here on the show, you can watch our videos on the Oregonians YouTube channel. Follow us on Instagram at Peak Northwest and view all of our travel and outdoors coverage on OregonLive.com slash travel. Please leave us a rating or review if you enjoy the show. And if you want to support this podcast and our local journalism, please consider a subscription to Oregon Live. You can find details, of course, at OregonLive.com slash pod support. This episode of the show is produced by me, Jim Ryan, alongside Jamie Hale and Andrew Thien. Stay safe and happy travels, everyone. Until next time, we leave you with this 10 seconds of Zen.